You are listening to Press Church Podcasts. Please enjoy this week's message. Is who are you? Who are you? I don't know how many Batman movies you've seen, but I've seen all of them, a lot of them, and have enjoyed Batman. And there's two different movies. One of the first ones with Michael Keaton, the original Batman, and Christian Bale's Batman as well, the Christopher Nolan movies. In, in both movies, there are these scenes that take place toward the beginning of the movie where Batman kind of encounters his, his first interaction with the criminal. In Michael Keaton's, he's on top of a rooftop, and, and there's, there's uh, two criminals who have just stolen some money, and they're divvying up the money, and they're, they're talking about what is this potential Batman. And in the Christopher Nolan movie, there's this drug kingpin, mobster-type guy who's doing this deal. Batman lands on top of his roof. And then Batman reveals himself to the mob boss and to the criminals, and in fear, they yell out, what or who are you? Michael Keaton, Batman, and Christian Bale, Batman, both have this resounding deep voice where they say, I am Batman. And you see, throughout the story, if you, if you know anything in regards to Batman, the world the people of Gotham, the criminals, the police, they're all trying to figure out who this person is. But on the other side of it, Batman is very aware of who he is. He understands his calling. He understands his purpose. He understands what he's doing. These criminals ask the question, who are you? And Batman had No qualms, no hesitation in responding exactly who he was. As I was growing up, I feel like I identified more with Spider-Man. He was taller, he was skinnier, uh, he was embarrassed to talk to girls, he was awkward. um, But there was this confidence that was in Batman that drew me to enjoying him. And I want to read in the scriptures, I was reading last week, the first passage that we'll talk about, and I read where it talks about and asks the question, who are you? And I started thinking, and I felt the Lord was prompting me to look at a couple different areas, a couple different people where the question was asked to them, to John the Baptist, to Jesus, and we'll see another story in Acts, where the question is asked, who are you? And today, I feel like people are asking us, as Christians, who are you? And I don't know if we know the answer. I don't know you individually. I don't know your complete story. But do you have the confidence to answer that question Or is it a question that's polling inside of you of wondering, who am I? What is this Christian walk? What does it look like? And hopefully we can answer those questions confidently today. The first scripture and place that I want to highlight is John chapter 1, verse 19. Talking about John the Baptist. Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews 
sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem and asked him, Who are you? First thing that I want to highlight for you is the religious want to know who you are. You see, when you study John the Baptist, you find out that John the Baptist was against the religious status quo at the time. He was out in the desert. He's talking funny. He's acting funny. He's, he's saying things that are, that are different. At this point, there had been no prophets up to this point. After Malachi had happened, seemingly it seems like God had gotten quiet. We don't see anything from Malachi to the beginning of the Gospels. And then this man shows up on the scene who starts preparing the way for the Messiah. Now you have to understand that the Jewish people have been hearing about the Messiah coming for years and years and decades and centuries. There have been prophets who have stood up and declared in front of people that there is a Messiah coming to save them and the people. And now there is this crazy man who is different than the priest, who is acting different than the church, who is acting different than how they interact, and he's saying, I'm coming to prepare the way, that I indeed come and baptize in water, but there is one who is coming who is going to baptize in fire, and he says, I am not even worthy to loose his sandal straps, and the religious people at the time said, well, this guy's talking crazy. This guy is not acting like we're acting. He's not following the rules like we have established. And so we need to send people and find out who he is. And John the Baptist had no issue telling them who he was. He understood his position at that time that he was called to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. He didn't know who the Messiah was. He didn't know what the Messiah looked like. He just knew that he was supposed to prepare the way for him. And in that time, he was supposed to tell them to repent. He was supposed to baptize them in water. And as crazy as he looked to the world standard, he was sent directly by God for the appropriate time as this. Jesus himself, the religious people asked him, Time and time again, who are you? What are you doing? Jesus bucked the religious rules at the time. Remember, Jesus ate with sinners. It wasn't just that he was eating with sinners. There was a group and a sect of people that their names were sinners. They were called sinners. That's the group of sinners in the town. He hung out with prostitutes. You remember the disciples were pulling grain off of the plants and eating them. And the Pharisees came and said, well, why aren't they fasting like they're supposed to? And Jesus says, you don't fast when the bride is here. Jesus pushed the status quo against the religious. He ate with sinners he did the unthinkable. He healed and touched someone and blessed them on the Sabbath. He didn't fast like he was supposed to. 
Even the Pharisees came to him and says, why don't your, your disciples ceremonially wash their hands like they're supposed to? The Pharisees, the religious people at the time, just couldn't get over what John the Baptist was doing. They couldn't get over what Jesus was doing because they were so focused on their rules, their laws, and their regulations that they forgot that this thing called Christianity was about people and helping people. I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but there's a religious rule that I heard growing up, and it's a simple little rhyme that says, don't dance, drink, or chew, and don't date any women who do. Don't dance, drink, or chew, and definitely don't date any women who do. She's got to take her chaw out to give you a kiss. I heard that growing up, that those were the rules that were established. So I didn't see any, I didn't see any of the disciples chewing in the Bible. I didn't think. But the religious people in the world have placed laws and boundaries and things on our lives that God never meant for us to deal with. And the religious people are going to come to you and they're going to ask you, who are you? Why do you think you get to do what you want to do? And here's a scripture that you can help answer them in that question. When the religious want to know who you are, you can tell them in Galatians 2, chapter 20, that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now lead, in the flesh, I live by faith in Jesus Christ, in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. This scripture right here tells you that your sins no longer define you anymore. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. No longer a sinner, but I'm righteous. I found out that if I tell my kids to don't do something, they want to do it more than ever. If I tell my, my daughter to not touch the outlet, don't put that Lego in your mouth, don't choke out the kitty, don't climb on the table, the more I tell my daughter not to do something specifically, the more she wants to do it. Same is true in life. We've talked about this before, that there are signs all over the street that tell us what that speed limit is in front of this church. And until one of y'all correctly informed me, I had no idea what the speed limit was here. <laughs> it's 25. But the more I see those speed limit signs as I drive, the more I want to go past them, and I want to go faster than them. Because telling people laws and rules and things that they're supposed to follow doesn't do anything except highlight the problem. What I would rather do is highlight the answer and give you the solution to the problem. That his name is Jesus. And that you, when you said yes to him, you have been crucified with him. And it's no longer you who live. 
you've been born again. That dead, dirty, sinful soul of yours has been completely washed and regenerated and you've been born again. That the church is not brought here to just help bad people do good things. The church is brought here to make the dead people become alive again. And the religious are going to ask you, who are you? I saw you sinning. I saw you not doing that. I know you don't read your Bible. I know you don't pray. I don't know you don't go to church or do this or that. What makes you think you can ask God for anything? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, right now, that I'm walking out, as I'm walking out my salvation... How can I do that? How can I overcome sin? How can I beat all of these rules and regulations that are out there? How can, I, how can I get a relationship with God? I live by faith in the Son of God. I live by faith. Not what I see out there, but what I know what the Scripture says. And then here's the part wrapped up. Who loved me. He loved me. When I was at my worst, he loved me. When I was at my best, he loved me. When I was on top of the mountain, he loved me. When I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, he loved me. When I thought I was a no one, he loved me. When I was insecure, he loved me. When I asked him for help, he gave himself for me. It's the goodness, the scripture says it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. When the religious come to you and ask who you are, you tell them, I'm loved. I'm loved by my Father. Let's look at the second story. We're going to see what Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 25. John chapter 8, verse 25, then they, being the Jewish people, said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. The world around Jesus wanted to know if he was the Messiah or who he was. So the second group of people that are asking who you are is the world. The world wants to know who you are. Jesus knew his purpose and why he came to earth. And he kept saying it over and over and over again. His story never changed. Jesus said, I have come to seek and save that which is lost. Even in the interactions with the Gentiles, he told them before, I'm not but sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But because of their faith, he healed that woman's daughter. Over and over and over again, Jesus tells his disciples at least three different times, I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me by hanging me on a tree, but don't worry, I'm going to rise from the dead in three days. He tells Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. If you believe on that and what he did, you won't perish, but you'll have eternal life. Over and over and over again, Jesus tells people, he tells his disciples, 
exactly who he is. He's not trying to shy away. He's not trying to run away from the cross. He's doing everything he can to get there because he knows why he's there. When he's standing in front of Pontius Pilate and they're having a conversation and Pontius Pilate is trying to do everything he can to let Jesus go. He says, I can't find anything wrong with you. He's washing his hands in the basin. He's just, he's trying to do whatever he can. And he asks Jesus, are you a king? Jesus says, well, that's what you say. He says, but for this cause I have been brought here to be a witness to the truth. That at every avenue and area that Jesus had to deviate and push away and say, I'm, I'm not the guy. I'm not who you're looking for. Jesus knew exactly who he was and he's telling the world right here. I've been saying the same thing over and over and over again, that I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. I talk to the Father and He talks to me. And the religious peoples kept looking at Him and hearing Him and saying, what authority does this man have where even the devils obey Him, where even the dead obey Him, where even the sick obey Him, where sickness is instantly cured, where life is instantly brought back into a death situation and where demons have to bow and run when he speaks. Who are you? On January 15th, 1967, in Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum in Los Angeles, California, the first Super Bowl was played. A couple years back, 1967, the game was played between Kansas City Chiefs and the Green Bay Packers. The final score of that game was 35 to 10, with Green Bay beating Kansas City. Now, when I look this up this weekend, that score has never changed. Since January 15, 1967, when the final buzzer went off, it was the same score when the game ended. For now, until the end of time, the first Super Bowl, the score of the Super Bowl will be 35 to 10. You can look through the history of Super Bowls and you can see the first Super Bowl, who was in it, and the score of it. It's what I like about sports. There's a finality to it, to that game. That when the game starts, it's 0-0 zero, zero in whatever avenue of sports it is. But at the end of the game, when the buzzer ends, when the clock hits zero, what's on the scoreboard is the scoreboard. And for the rest of history, that is the score. I don't know if they have. If not, none come directly to mind. But it is very few and far between that after the, the buzzer ends, zero hits the clock, they say, well, we can change the score. Has it happened? It might have, but it's very rare. The score is what the score is, and for the rest of history, that is the score. The world wants to know who you are. 
I think I have a thought on why the world has a hard time understanding the church right now. It's because the message that we've been delivering is not consistent. The message that we've been delivering is not the same unified message. Who are you to the world? Because the same message that saved you is the same message that you should remember, and it's the same message that will save the next person next to you. The score is not going to change. The gospel message is not going to change. Jesus said it. When they said, who are you? He says, I am the same one since the very beginning. I have not changed my tune. I have not changed what I believe. I have not changed what I said. The gospel is still the gospel. And it's the same message that saved you and transformed your life. And it's the same message that will transform and save the world out there. The reason I think the church has lost face is because we've decided that other messages are more important than the gospel. We want to stand on our rules and our regulations and our groups of people and we decide what heels that we're going to die on and who we'll let in and who we'll kick out. When the world's asking who you are and the church should bring this unified message of we are the way. We are Christians. We are Christ's followers. And what that means is believing the gospel message. It has not changed. It will never change. There is no other plan B for God on how to save humanity. It has been Jesus. It will always be Jesus. The score is not changing. And you should know that the same man God who saved you however many years ago is the same God who will save you today in whatever issue you're going through. And whenever you encounter people at work or at the store or here in church, that your message to them in their moment of hurt and need is Jesus saves, Jesus loves, Jesus paid the price for you. He came to heal the brokenhearted so you don't have to deal with that broken heart anymore. He came to save you and pull you up so that you could have life and more abundant. When the world asks and wants to know who you are, you can answer with this scripture, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And I can't answer that question if you're ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You're the only one that can answer that question. But when I interact with people, and I hear the stories that they're going through, and I hear the pain, and I hear the struggle, and I hear the things going on. At that moment, I have to make the decision, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And why am I not ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Because it is the power of God that will lead them to salvation. Ultimate, eternal salvation, or any salvation that they need in their lives, the gospel is the Salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then verse 17, piggybacking off of verse 16, says, For in it, talking about the gospel of Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. That is written, the just shall live by faith. The righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God is revealed when I simply tell people, they say, who are you? 
and the righteousness of God. I have received the power of God. And I want to share that with you by not being ashamed of the gospel message. And the last portion that we have, the last story that we'll highlight in asking, who are you? Acts chapter 19, verse 15. And the evil spirits answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? The the demonic want to know who you are. I know we don't want to talk about it. I know we want to keep it in the shadows where they live, but there are still rulers in this world. There's still evil in this world. Why do bad things happen to good people? Because there's still a devil and there's still demons. They still have control of this earth. Jesus gave us the power and the authority to trample, destroy the works of the devil. But he's still running around. He's defeated. He's still running around and there's still evil that's out there. And you can find out very quickly if something that's attacking me, if something that's coming against me or my family or my church or my community, is this demonic? We can look in the scriptures and we can find out if it's demonic. The scripture says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So if there's something coming against me or my family or my church or my community that the sole purpose is to steal, kill, or destroy Demonic. It says in the scriptures that God is not a God of confusion. So if there's not peace in a situation and there's confusion happening, there's probably some demonic happening. Also says, Jesus called the Pharisees at one point that they were of their father, the devil, the father of lies. Is there lying? Is there confusion is there stealing? Is there killing? Is there destroying? In whatever situation, in whatever is going on in your life, if you see those red flags happening, you need to take a step back. Say, there's something going on here. But the thing is, you don't just embrace it. You don't just say, okay, well, now I recognize it's the demonic, now it's time to attack. Now it's time to go after it because Jesus has already given you the authority of his name. He's already told you that the devil has been defeated. That you can have the power and the authority. The story here is that there were seven sons of Sceva who were hanging out and there was this demon-possessed man who came to him And they said that they wanted to cast this demon out. And you can read it in Acts chapter 19, where the group who tried to cast out the demons attempted, and this is what they said, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. This is what they tried to do when they came against the demonic. We exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. And if you keep reading the story, it says that the demoniac jumped on top of them and beat them up and embarrassed them. Why didn't it work? Because they didn't have a relationship with God. They didn't understand the authority that God had given them. 
They were trying to use the authority of their pastor. They were trying to go through three different levels of association. And it didn't work. But not you. Not me. Not this church. Because we understand that Jesus has given us his authority. And the same power that rose Christ from the dead, the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead, dwells inside of us. And if Jesus can cast out the demonic in his area, then we too also have the power. We as Christians have this thought process that God and Satan are on the same level. That God and Satan are on this cosmic battle. God is not worried about the devil because his son defeated him thoroughly, it says in Colossians. And then Jesus freely gave you the same power and the authority. When I worked in the prison, whenever I would walk up to the gate of the prison, they would buzz me in. They let me in, not because I was some good guy, not because I was some muscular guy, not because I was anything special. They let me in because I had the authority from the sheriff to work there. The sheriff and the warden gave me and the other corrections officers the authority and the power of his badge to operate inside of that facility. They gave me a uniform. So when I walked up to that building and I had my uniform on, they buzzed me in and I would walk into that prison and I would start working. The inmates, no matter how big, bad, or ugly they were, they had to listen and abide by those who were given the uniform by the sheriff. The corrections officers came in so many different shapes, sizes, and ages. There were some very very old people who worked in the jail with me. And I thought, if something goes down, how, if you fall down, you're going to break a hip. How, how are we going to protect you and how are you going to protect me? And they were probably thinking the same thing about me as my extra small shirt hung off of me in a gangly matter. <laughs> but there were women there. There were old men there. There were overweight people. There were ex-military, there were some very in-shape corrections officers. There was a whole gambit of people who were corrections officers, but the inmates had to abide and obey the authority that was placed over them. In the Scriptures, it says you've been given the authority of the name of Jesus. In the Scriptures, it says you've been given a uniform. In the scriptures it says you've been given a robe of righteousness. In the scriptures it says you've been given a garment of salvation that is placed upon you. A robe of righteousness and a garment of salvation. And God the sheriff has given you the full authority that when you walk into this world, 
that you can go out there and when the demonic asks, who are you? You can say, I am the son and the daughter of the most high God. Therefore, you must, just like anything else that has a knee, must bow its knee and obey. You are no longer going to steal, kill, and destroy in my life, in my family. You are no longer going to lie to me. You are no longer going to bring confusion to my mind, into my relationships, into my community. I have the authority I have the uniform, and I'm going to use it. Scripture, when the demonic want to know who you are, Philippians 4.13, we know this scripture. We've got it all over our house, tattooed on us, on our bumper stickers. I can do all things, but the scripture doesn't end right there. How can I do all things? Through Christ. How can I do all things through Christ? Because it's him who strengthens me. Well, I've never raised the dead before. I've never healed the sick. I've never cast out demons. I've never witnessed to somebody. I've never prayed for somebody. I've never stood in faith to believe for God to do something. Well, you have might have never done those things, but the Holy Spirit is inside of you, and the Holy Spirit has done a lot more of those. The Holy Spirit who is inside of you has raised the dead. The Holy Spirit who is inside of you has healed the sick. The Holy Spirit inside of you has cast out demons. The Holy Spirit inside of you has helped person after person after person and is now more than willing, ready to help you. I'm finishing with this. The religious, the world, the demonic are asking and testing who you are. And it's time for you to start answering and continuing that question by studying, investigating, praying, and finding out who you are in Christ. Last scripture, and I'm finishing with this. This is a story of Jesus in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. Look at the story of Jesus. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Imagine that. Imagine someone coming back to Williston, calling a meeting in in town square at the football field. He gets a microphone. He says, hey guys, I know you've seen me grow up here. I know you've seen me be a carpenter with my dad. I know you've seen me play with the kids all over the place, but I want to let you know today that I'm the Messiah. I'm here to save all of you. How many people in those stands would get up and walk out? Boo. I know who you are. You're a joke. I watched you throw up, I watched you beat up your brother and sister. I watched you fish. I watched you break that furniture in my house when your dad was trying to fix it. I watched you do all these things. Jesus shows up to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, look, you're doing something just like Jesus today. He went to church on the Sabbath. Congrats to y'all being just like Jesus. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the passage that he is about to read is a passage out of Isaiah, Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And this is from Isaiah right here, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. 
And he sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and to recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Verse 19 continues on, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Look at verse 20. Then he closed the book. He gave it back to the attendant and he went and sat down. Obviously, the next sentence makes absolute sense. And all the eyes of all those who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he doubled down. Jesus, who are you? The same person who I've been saying since the very beginning. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The world, the religious the demonic, they're asking, who are you? They're testing you. Oh, you say you're a Christian? Let's see if you are. And now more than ever, we as Christians have to know with full assurance who we are. You have to understand that your identity is not in what the last name is on your driver's license or what car you drive or what job you have or the amount of zeros in your bank account. Your identity is completely encapsulated in whose you are and who you are. You are Jesus' favorite son and daughter. His favorite that he loves you and he cares for you today. And when you have the confidence and the assurance of who you are and whose you are, then you can go out there and tell those people, not be ashamed of the gospel, being confident in knowing who you are. Today, if you don't know who you are, then you need to find your identity. Be confident in it. And let's stand up as we head out today. The same thing that Jesus said is the same thing that's true about you because the Holy Spirit is inside of each and every one of you today. And as we finish, I'm going to pray this over you because this is true. It's the same calling that is on your lives. So, Father, I thank you for these people today. I thank you that you help us on our journey in life understand who we are, that there are people that are hurting and dying. And they're just asking the church, who are you? Can you help me? Can you save me? Can you point me in the right direction? And the dark side of this world is making fun of the church. They're asking, who are you? How dare you think that you can do anything? I know what you did over the weekend. I I know what you said. I know what you saw. But Father, I thank you that I'm standing in a room full of people, of men and women of God, like your scripture says, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon them because you have anointed them. And what they're going to do is to go out and preach the gospel to the poor. They're going to go out and help heal the brokenhearted. They're going to go out and proclaim liberty to the captives. And they're going to help recover sight to the blind. They're going to go out and help Set at liberty those who are oppressed, and they are going to go out and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Today, 
that scripture is fulfilled in their lives. Today, the seed has been planted to know that all authority is theirs, that Jesus is on their side, and if God is on their side, they do not have to fear. What can any man do to them? Father, they know today that greater are you that's in them than anything that comes against them in this world. They know today that no weapon formed against them shall prosper, and every tongue that rises against them, they will condemn. Father, they know today that they can go out and lay hands on the sick, and they must recover. They know today that the favor of God surrounds them like a shield. They know today that everything they put their hands to must prosper. They know today that their body is the temple of the Most High God. They know today that they have the mind of Christ. They know today who they are in Christ. And as they go into this week and they hear that question, who are you? They can answer it with full confidence, knowing that God is on their side and that they have the authority of Jesus, that they have the uniform on. They are clothed in a garment of righteousness. Father, I thank you for your people today. Father, I thank you for those that are traveling and uh, on vacation, Father, that you protect them and keep them safe as they travel through this weather. Father, I thank you for those that aren't here today due to illness. Father, I thank you that you sent your word and it healed them, that wherever they're at, in the name of Jesus, we speak healing into their bodies. Father, I thank you for this congregation, that they are blessed and highly favored, that no weapon formed against them shall prosper, that the favor of God is on their lives, that Psalms 91 protects them, that no evil shall befall them. If it comes against them on their right side or their left side, no evil will befall them and their family, that they are healed and whole. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here. God bless you. We love you, and we'll see you next week. Take care, family. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.